0: I like to look for what I say the a property with the right things wrong with it. So I have certain skills that might be different than what your skills are and so a good deal for you might not be a good deal for me. So that's something to be aware of.
1: Best ever listeners, before we get into today's episode, I'm pleased and honored to be introducing you to Trevor McGregor. You recognize his name. He's been on the show multiple times. Just search Trevor McGregor, Joe Fairless, and you'll hear his interviews that I did with him. And he has a lot of value during those interviews. Well, he's had a lot of value in my life. For the last five years... I have hired him to be a consultant to help me with my real estate business and just personal stuff too as a life slash business coach. And he's taken my game to a different level. Before I hired him, I had four single family homes. And oh, by the way, I was also single. Fast forward to today, my company controls over $300 million worth of real estate. And I am happily, happily married. Clearly, results are going to vary, but. He has helped me in five years do things that I didn't even have on my radar. So I suggest that you speak to Trevor McGregor if you're looking to take your real estate investing business to the next level. If you've had success and are looking to build on that success, then he's your guy. Go to trevormcgregor.com or coachwithtrevor.com and you'll be able to apply for a conversation with him, coachwithtrevor.com. We used to do a free consultation. We got too many free consultations, and he actually is pretty full with his consulting program, and he's very conscientious about the value that he adds. He wants to add tremendous value, so he's being very selective with people who he does work with. So go to coachwithtrevor.com and apply to have a conversation with him. And then you two can decide if it makes sense to work together or not and hire him as a consultant. It has impacted my life in a tremendously positive way. Him and his wife have gone to my wedding. Trevor's been in my conference a couple years. And I know him well. And I suggest that you get to know him as well. CoachWithTrevor.com Best ever listeners, how you doing? Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast. We only talk about the best advice ever. We don't get into any of that fluffy stuff with us today. Maureen Miles. How you doing, Maureen?
0: Great, great. Hi, Joe.
1: Nice to have you on the show and a little bit about Maureen. She's invested in 1,700 units when she has a portfolio valued at $100 million. Three and a half years after closing on her first 100 plus unit apartment complex, her and her business partners portfolio have now hit that $100 million mark. So when she started out with smaller multis, they didn't produce enough. And then she went bigger. And boy, has she gone bigger based in Hartford, Connecticut. So with that being said, Maureen, you want to give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and your current focus.
0: Sure. I had a corporate job with one of the big telecom providers, just kind of got frustrated there. We never knew if we we're going to have a job month to month with layoffs and kind of all that crazy stuff that goes along with that. We just needed a better way out. My husband didn't have any pension at his job either. So we originally got into multifamily just trying to look for something for the future to kind of show our kids a little bit about business and that kind of thing. And just to kind of provide our own retirement plan for the future was the original goal. So we started buying up the multifamilies, just looking at two to four units, rehabbing them, getting them to rent them out, keep them full. Learned a lot there. And I knew that there was more potential in this because I learned I was good at it. I enjoyed it. And with the small stuff, I just didn't have enough time in a day to work my full-time job and to continue to grow. I think we got up to about 30 units in the smaller kind of local stuff in Connecticut. So, I started attending different education seminars, kind of learning what I could about the larger multifamily buildings. Eventually, kind of put it all together. I happened to get a nice package at work. That was kind of my escape after I was planning for years and years and dreaming of being able to leave my corporate job. So, with that package, I got a couple months worth of pay. So, I figured it's now or never. I met up with my business partner now and we just started buying up in Atlanta is where we invest currently, but we're anywhere really in the Southeast, looking at some other markets there. Mm -hmm. Uh, But yeah, we hit it fast and it's been wonderful. It's been wonderful. I remember when my first check was over, what I used to make in a year at my job, when my first acquisition fee check, that was a great moment (laughs) Um, and we've just crushed it and it's fun. You get to work with partners you like and people you like and those you don't want to work with, you don't work with. So it's, Mm -hmm. it's a really a great world.
1: How many two to four units did you buy prior to leaving and buying in Atlanta?
0: At our height, I think we were up to about 30 units. So it was probably somewhere, probably around 10 properties or so. We had some four units, some two units, a mixture of them. Mm
1: -hmm. And did you sell them?
0: Actually, they're really nice. They were like little savings accounts. We did make some cash flow, but it wasn't enough to really leave our jobs at that point. Connecticut didn't really come out of the recession like a lot of areas in the U.S. Actually, they're still kind of in it there. It's it's terrible in some of the locations there. So I actually still have a few of those properties today that I have two kids that are in their early 20s and along with my husband, they kind of manage them from Connecticut. So they take care of those. I think we have like eight units left. So four properties, maybe five. I forget now that's terrible. I have to think. <laughs> that's how much I think about those now. But yeah, I think we have... Uh, Five, yeah, we have no, six. Actually, we have six two families left with 12 units still.
1: So. And I think you already answered it with Connecticut hasn't come out of the recession part, but I'll ask you the question anyway, if you have something else to add to it. Why not buy larger stuff in your backyard versus going to Atlanta?
0: One thing I like about the Atlanta market is it's quick on a flight. I can do a direct flight and two hours be there. I can be there and back in the same day. So the distance wasn't as much as a hurdle as you might think. Connecticut didn't see the growth. When I go down to Atlanta, especially three years ago, each skyline in Atlanta that you saw, you were looking at cranes everywhere and building was massive and the jobs coming in. So in this type of business of what we do, we really follow job growth. You want to go where the people are. And as long as there's people going into that community, there's going to be renters, especially with what the millenniums are doing now and stuff. So we didn't have that type of growth in Connecticut. So also the buildings themselves, when I go down to Atlanta, an older property is 1970. Um, In Connecticut, I've rehabbed properties from 1860. So we don't have the mass scale of 70s, 80s, 90s products like you have in Atlanta.
1: If you were forced to do what you're doing, I assume you're syndicating these deals, yes?
0: That's correct, yep.
1: Okay. If you're forced to syndicate the deals in your backyard, what would your approach be?
0: In my backyard, if I had to buy in Connecticut and there was mm-hmm. no other place? Yeah. I just make sure I had a good product, good bones. Every property is a little different. I like to look for what I say, the a property with the right things wrong with it. So I have certain skills that might be different than what your skills are, and so... A good deal for you might not be a good deal for me. So that's something to be aware of. But I look for something that's not too old unless I had a huge amount of CapEx that worked out into the deal to be able to do it. But I would just get out there. I'd start meeting with the brokers or the owners, trying to get as close to the source as I could for these properties and just start tenaciously networking and letting everybody know who I was and what I was there for.
1: Fortunately, you're not forced to do that. So you can hop on a flight and you go to Atlanta. You mentioned the demographics or the growth for Atlanta, but initially you had the whole United States to look at. So what other cities did you look at and what made you decide Atlanta over those other cities?
0: Charlotte was my original market that I was looking at, but that was probably going back now four and a half years when I first was kind of poking around the bigger properties. I like Charlotte. What attracted me to Atlanta is that I feel, and somebody might have a different opinion, but they was the last major market to come out of the recession. So there was a lot of growth. I think they were hit a lot harder than other areas. So you had more room to grow as well. And I just liked what they were doing for their businesses. It seems like they were doing everything they could to attract businesses and really be business friendly. With Perks, we saw a lot of Fortune 500 headquarters moving down there it's nice to be in an environment where they're really making an effort to have businesses grow instead of trying to kill them with taxes and things like that.
1: Three and a half years, you've gone from a portfolio of 30 units that you owned by yourself or with your family and now to a hundred million. You currently have how many units in your portfolio? Right now
0: about 1500. 1500.
1: Got it. Mm-hmm. How many properties does that consist of?
0: Six right now. There's six properties. Our typical deal is about just over 200 units. Our smallest one is 150 units. Our largest is 280 right now.
1: How did you go about getting the right team members in place for the first large one in Atlanta?
0: Your team is so important. A lot of referrals, a lot of research already in the market. I like to really get to know people. We actually get information from the postman. I mean, they're always a great source of, is this a good property? What's going on in the area? Is it growing? Is it rough? Are you scared when you come in the area? So like we all, I always try to hit that source is really good. And as far as team members, just a lot of referrals. So the brokers will refer you to property managers who will refer you to attorneys. And once you set your zone on the area you want to get into, just keep asking everybody, interviewing different people. And I'm always one, I like to learn everything I can. I figure we're dealing with large amounts of investors' money. We have to do that. We have to absolutely know everything we possibly can about not only deal structure and running the property, but also about the market. Because what I've learned is when an investor invests with you, they don't research any of that. They're really going on your word 100%. So you really have to understand it. I would never, at a whim, just jump into a market. And buy a deal. You you really can't do that. But it's really, as you know, Joe, this whole business is really referral based and relationship based.
1: Are you using the same property management company on all six properties?
0: Actually, we went through some transitions with different property management companies and we actually took it in house this year. So our business, we went from six employees to 60 employees in 2017. So we actually grew a property management company as well as a construction company. And we have control over more aspects of it now so that we're able to really cut down on our costs. And I realized that I was spending so much time kind of arguing with the property management company or trying to force them to do things the way that I wanted them done that I figured the effort was better spent on developing our own property management company, rather than just being in this constant battle all the time with explaining why they need to do things this way and trying to save money and cutting costs, but yet delivering a good product. So there's a yin and a yang to that, but mm-hmm. you know, right now we've took it in-house. But anyone starting in a new area, for your best ever listeners, you definitely want to go with a reputable third-party management company and a broker can refer you to them. They'll know the good ones versus the bad ones for sure.
1: What are some of the things that you wanted done that they weren't doing?
0: Actually, I was just speaking with someone earlier today about this. For instance, I showed up on one of my properties. We had just taken it over, and there was a terrible drop off to like some drainage overflow area that was there. And I said, okay, well, you know, we need a fence there. And so just out of the blue, you know, we have contact with getting fenced at wholesale pricing, and we have really good installers. And, but just out of the blue, I show up one day, and there's this wood stockade pine fence. And I mean, there was like a mile and a half of this fence. And, you know, I asked him, I said, whoa, what is this? So now it kind of blocks the view. Everything was closed off. It's something that's easy to tag if somebody wanted to spray paint on it, where we were going to go with a chain link version. And I asked the manager, where is this fencing? She says, oh, one of my contractors had extra materials, so he did it for free. I'm like, what are you talking about? That doesn't even make sense. He would come down and put like a mile and a half of fencing and you know, for free. Oh yeah, he does that. Just, he had extra material. And we find out three months later, we get the bill in the mail for all the fencing that she had approved, but she was afraid that oh, I would get upset, which I would have. And I did.
1: Which was it? Weird
0: thing. I think they wanted about $11,000 maybe, um, yeah. but it was discounted and all this funny stuff, but that kind of stuff they need to send approvals, but there is kind of an under, what do you want Under you the table type of thing. Yeah, I think some of that stuff goes on with some of the management companies as well. Not all, but sometimes that goes on. They refer their uncle or their buddy to do a job. And I think it was something like that. But I don't like surprises with my investors' money. I like to have control over that. It's been better. But I wouldn't recommend it to anybody coming out of the gate for sure. You definitely want a professional third-party manager. because these 100-plus units are a little bit of a different beast than the two to fours.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. That's pretty ridiculous. She just lied to you straight to your face. That's
0: <laughs> the end of the relationship with you. Yeah.
1: Clearly, that's a rule you don't want to break. Don't lie to your client. But what about from a process standpoint? Anything that they weren't doing that you now can do? Maybe paperwork or reporting or anything along those lines?
0: Yeah, a lot of things like, for instance, the most recent management change we had was due to a few specific issues. One was using a rent referral company. So they were using, now Atlanta is a pretty hot market. There's not an occupancy issue or anything like that. If you have a good running property, it'll stay full. And they were using like a 4.99 dollars referral company. So we were getting these referrals and then they were paying out $500. They never asked for our approval of this. Just the management company had this relationship. Again, there could have been a kickback for them involved or something, I don't know. But we were spending thousands of dollars a month because they were hardly leasing. And so I questioned like, why do we have a leasing agent if we're just relying on these referrals for this referral company to send us at $500 a pop? I'm like, that's whole salary and a half in itself if you have enough referrals like that. So it's just certain things like that, that Mm -hmm. they like to go ahead and do on their own without running by you and they're unnecessary Another thing is one of the management companies was counting our delinquent rent as rent collected, and then they would write it off as they chose to. So what that did is as you look at the numbers, it's hard to really read how the property was actually doing. So Mm -hmm. I like as real time as possible with delinquencies and collections, because the way that they were structured, they were getting a little bump on the management fees, which was probably the reasoning for it. Oh yeah. But... It was hard to really gauge on where I need to send extra support or what properties I should be concerned with because we couldn't always tell in real time there was a high delinquency at a property for some reason. It was kind of covered up for a while. Mm-hmm. So that ended that relationship with that company. I felt like <laughs> a horrible person, but I'm really hands-on and I really like to make sure everything's running as efficiently as possible and those kind of things just drive me crazy.
1: Mm-hmm. And the delinquent rent, was that rent that was... Not paid yet, or was it delinquent and then say they collected it, it was just was late?
0: No, it was rent that was not paid. Um, oh. In Georgia, depending <laughs> on the season, you know, it takes about two months to evict somebody, maybe six weeks. So if you're showing the rent as collected, you really can't see that there's maybe five people that are waiting for eviction. It can add up to four or five thousand dollars in a single month, and then they were writing it off kind of as they please. So it wasn't even like they would write off the five thousand dollars when somebody got kicked out. They might write off a thousand dollars one month and $15,000 another month. It was insane.
1: That Um, is insane. But it's obvious why they were doing it. It's because their fee was based off of collected income every month. And so they were just batching in money that wasn't collected and they're getting a higher fee, right?
0: Yeah, you got it. And it took the pressure off them too, because the numbers look good. (laughs) <laughs> the actual numbers were not so good. So it's a way to fluff it, which is terrible. I mean, oh, yeah. you know, their jobs kind of be our eyes and ears, but um, except for those few things, I mean, in general, and there are some really good property managers out there and property management companies, but you do need to know what to watch for.
1: Six to 60 people in one year's time. Did I hear that right? Yeah.
0: Okay. Yeah, it's been a pretty D-
1: crazy yeah please, yeah. please elaborate on that.
0: We took management in house. So there's between probably four to eight employees for each property. And then also the construction company. We actually bought a property in May that was 40% occupied. Also, something I don't recommend the best ever listeners do unless they have a background in it. But it was a major, major rehab on a 280 unit property. So we're going through that. So we ended up bringing a lot of the help in house for the construction side. And what that renovation, while going through the renovations, It's just allowed me to save so much money on products across our whole portfolio. So, having the construction company, we can really buy in bulk. So, not only for the 1,500 units, but also for this major rehab. And so, it saves our whole portfolio quite a bit of money. We're buying things like trim, and our paint costs have just, I think, we're paying about a tenth in paint than we were before the project started. It's been actually really good to our whole portfolio. And then going forward, now we'll be able to look at renovations and upgrades at a much lower price point than we used to and then a typical person or a typical buyer would.
1: With the 40% occupied property, a couple lessons that you learned with that property?
0: Oh boy. Careful what I ask for, them. huh? <laughs> yeah. We've gotten our sequences in renovations down better. What have we learned? What's yeah. the
1: sequence for the your renovation?
0: Uh, Just as far as you make sure that your upstairs units are renovated before your downstairs units, some of them seem pretty obvious. So we have almost 70 contractors show up every day at that project. So we bought it in May. We'll have the whole thing completed by May. Within one year was my goal. And I think we'll be done in about 10 months. But just as far as our our typical sequence and, and getting it down and eliminating handoffs, there's a lot of lost time at handoffs when different groups would take over. We have our demo, and then they go in and they do all the utilities kind of work. And then you have your sheet rockers and at what point does your HVAC guy enter? How many times does he have to go in there? Just all of those little nuances that we really had to get down cookie cutter. You know, how many could a group handle at once? Do we give them four? Is is that more efficient than eight or one at a time? And so just all those things to really, really get everything done quickly.
1: Would we be able to just go through that sequence I was writing it down, so you said one: make sure the upstairs units are renovated before downstairs, and then the demo crew, then utilities, then sheetrockers, and HVAC. And do I have that so far correct?
0: Yeah, that seems about right. And then we go in with our sheetrockers, the HVAC people. They have to go in a few different points. We had some line sets stolen. There was a lot of these units that were abandoned for a while. So they had gone in and stripped some of the copper and electrical out of them. Windows too. We like to do windows. If we can get the windows done before the interiors are renovated, then the interior guys can do the trim and paint the trim consistently with the rest of the unit. You're not going back afterwards to replace windows. So we're trying to keep the window crew ahead of everybody. Then we go in with our painting or final punch, which is putting in all the electrical fixtures, your faucets, things like that trying to think of the sequence here. And then we have the flooring, the cabinets have to be fit in there. I can send you something, Joe, if you want. I can write down the sequence of it. I don't want to leave anything out on Yeah,
1: you you know, we'll do that. And then we'll put a link to it in the show notes of this episode so that best ever listeners, you can just simply download the document.
0: Yeah, because there's nothing worse than when, (laughs) especially with so much going on at once, it's hard to keep track of every unit. But I have some really good team members on site. My daughter's actually, she's rehabbed since she was about eight years old. She's lived in rehabs with multi-families and everything else. So she keeps an eye on the guys. And the worst thing ever is when you go in and there's brand new carpeting and flooring and somebody's cutting out the sheetrock above it because somebody forgot to tie something in or something. And that's just such a waste of time and money. I joked about with our whole team. I said, don't worry, by the end of this project, we'll have a really good process down. And it was just kind <laughs> of a joke, but we have the process now. It's good. <laughs> you know, when you order appliances, you know, just all that stuff is just so key.
1: That's going to be very beneficial for the best ever listener. So I thank you on their behalf.
0: No problem. I'm happy to help out anybody I can. And like I said, there's a lot of figuring out to do. We gain experience by making mistakes. So I think if something does kind of get messed up while you're in a rehab project or even buying your first multi-family or maybe you could have bought better, the important thing is you did it and just try to learn what you can and keep going forward. You don't really fail unless you give up is the way I look at it. To be successful, you have to have a lot of plan A, Bs, and Cs. So we very rarely miss a beat in anything because we already have a plan in the back of our head of what's going to happen if this doesn't work or if that doesn't work. So I think that's why we've been so successful.
1: And along those lines, and perhaps you just mentioned it, but what is your best real estate investing advice ever?
0: Ooh, best advice ever don't ever think you can't do it. That's one thing. Learn everything you can about the type of real estate you want to go into. And then don't let the haters ever keep you down, I guess I can say. When venturing from a kind of a corporate world to this, there's a lot of people that don't understand it. And I think they try to keep you safe. It just seems risky to them. But this is stuff you understand and you enjoy, then go for it. And don't let one deal stop you. Don't let a conversation with a broker that didn't go well hold you back, or one investor not want to invest with you keep you down. So if you know this is right for you, just keep moving ahead because it really is a totally different world. I can provide for my family now, and the opportunities we have in the future because I made this leap. So have grit, be tenacious about it, and just don't take no for an answer. Because I started with no money. My first two large deals like this, I didn't put a penny, and I just I didn't have any money. And my 30-unit portfolio you talked about, I started with an investor who had to put up all the money. So it's, it's not like you need a lot of money to be able to do this. Just keep at it, and it, it can be done.
1: We're doing a lightning round. You ready for the best ever lightning round?
0: Uh-oh. Okay, go for it.
1: All right. First, a quick word from our best ever partners. If you want to hire the guy who I hire to help me with my real estate investing business, then go to coachwithtrevor.com. That's coachwithtrevor.com. The Real Estate Innovators Podcast explores innovation in commercial real estate technology, design, and development. They celebrate the companies and innovators who are changing the business of commercial real estate and are inspiring the future of how we work, live, and play. Find out more at the realestateinnovators.com. What's the best ever book you've read?
0: Think and Grow Rich.
1: Best ever deal you've done that wasn't your first and wasn't your last?
0: Uh, A 250-unit deal we bought for $6.8 and sold 24 months later for $12.5
1: How much did you put into it?
0: My own money was zero.
1: No, no, total renovations.
0: Oh, that was another mistake. Sorry, I know it's going to be lightning round. We did that with 250000 in CapEx.
1: Well, that doesn't sound like a mistake if all in you're at 7 million and you sell it for, what'd you say? Oh, well, I thought you said best
0: ever real estate deal. Did you say biggest mistake? I'm sorry. No, 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 no. You
1: I, I said I thought you said <laughs> time out. So I thought you just said that was a mistake. We only put in 200. But if you're all in for 7 million cuz 6.8 200,000, 7 million and you sold for 20 something, then that doesn't sound like a mistake. That sounds like a really good thing.
0: No, it was a really good thing, but there was a little luck involved with that. We should have had more CapEx for that property. That was our second property. And, you know, you learn as you go along. So we got lucky. Nothing major happened. We went in and did some renovations and the market went along with us. And yeah, we totally crushed numbers. We laughed with our investors because I think we were projecting a uh, 20% annualized return over five years. And we ended up returning, like doubling their money in two years. And we laugh about how bad we were at projections back then. (laughs) So we have fun, but that was the best deal to date.
1: What's a mistake you've made on a transaction?
0: Probably not being confident in certain properties and being too cautious and too conservative, which again, our portfolio performs awesomely because of that, but... We missed out on a lot of opportunity over the years because it took a while to really know where we could be more aggressive. And we were just cautious on everything in the beginning. So our biggest mistake is probably not moving forward on some of the deals that we just got scared on.
1: What is the best ever way you like to give back?
0: I get a lot out of turning the units and seeing nice young families moving into our apartments. One of the reasons that I do this and and why it kind of hits home and I'm very passionate about it is i remember when i was young and i was my i just had my daughter at the time and and my husband and we were looking for an apartment and i remember like leaving the apartments that we could fit in our price range and like getting in my car and crying because i like they were so horrible and dirty and i'm just like oh my gosh like people would live in this place like it was horrible so that kind of just kind of resurrects itself when i see the young families moving into my places because you don't have to spend a lot of money to have a nice clean safe place to live So I feel that by caring about that, I'm actually giving back, but we do like to support the local community. So something I found out in the last year and a half or two is when you really get to know the police force around and support them, they help you out. And when you team up with the police, this is if you're in a C area, that really is a win-win. They get really excited that they have owners willing to work with them. And it helps your efforts too by them really looking out for you and, and your property as well.
1: How can the best ever listeners get in touch with you?
0: You can send me an email at Maureen. It's M-A-U-R-E-N at TudorMcLeud.com. That's T-U-D-O-R-M-C-L-E-O-D.com.
1: Well, Maureen, this has been a very informative conversation. I love it because we we're talking about your personal experiences and you gave us stories and a lot of helpful tips along the way. So very grateful for that from couple things that we should look for when working with a third-party property management company to make sure they're not trying to pull one over on us. One is if they've got a leasing agent and then also are consistently paying a referral company to bring in people. Two would be something that's even more egregious, and that is counting delinquent rent as rent collected because they are getting compensated on what rent is collected the percentage of that so those are two things and then the sequence for a renovation best ever listeners you can download that document and if it's not in the show notes for whatever reason we have a technical issue then just email info, info at joe and my team will personally send you that document once maureen sends it over to me and then the last thing with, I believe you mentioned the mail carrier, right? Where you like to always talk to the mail carrier.
0: I do. They know everything about the properties. They'll know who's lived there, if they're happy, if they're not happy, what's been happening, what owners have owned it yeah, what's going on on the street. They know everything.
1: Yeah. So there we go. Put that on our due diligence checklist when we're viewing properties and doing walkthroughs. So thanks for being on the show. Hope you have a best ever day and we'll talk to you soon.
0: Thanks a lot, Joe. I appreciate it. And thank you best ever listeners. So keep moving forward. Thank
1: you. The Real Estate Innovators podcast explores innovation in commercial real estate technology, design, and development. They celebrate the companies and innovators who are changing the business of commercial real estate and are inspiring the future of how we work, live, and play. Find out more at therealestateinnovators.com.